Hey, Chuck. Hey, Pam. How are you? I'm wonderful. How about you? I'm good. Yeah? I'm good. You know why I'm good? Why? Because we're getting to that part of the year that I love where we're actually getting the good stuff. The big stuff, the Hollywood stuff, the the ambitious stuff, and this is this is why I, I'm a film critic, and I think that's why you are too. Yeah, you know, when when we don't have this at our ready, it it gets a little dull and boring at times. Yeah. But things are picking up. Um, today I had an interview with Rebecca Hall, mm-hmm. and we've got some exciting news coming up in November as to where we're going mm-hmm. and why we're going to this place. We can't wait to share that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, things are picking up. It's it's a it, we really needed that booster. Didn't we? Yeah, yeah. We gotta, you know, we gotta get out of the doldrums. We gotta get out of this routine that uh, the whole COVID thing has pushed us into. Right, uh, and we are getting out of it. We are climbing out of it, and we are climbing out with one of the movies that you were super excited about that got pushed back and pushed, pushed back, back and pushed yeah. back, and is opening tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Actually, you know what? Huh? Well, you can see it tonight in theaters. We're talking Thursday, the twenty-first. And I also read that they're actually showing it on HBO Max tonight as well. Oh, are they really? They are, yeah. Warner Brothers continues to shoot themselves in the foot where Dune is concerned. <laughs> uh, this massive film, this massive film with a huge budget, a movie that whether you like it or not, you have to see on a big screen. And uh, why they're doing this HBO Max thing is beyond me. But for me, it was worth the wait. Do tell. Uh, you know, it, it reminded me of why I love going to the movies. Okay. I mean, Dennis Villanueva, he he knows how to fill the frame. And there's just, from the very first, for me, there was an epic feel to this. There was a sense of spectacle about the whole thing that I don't think I've seen in, in I can't remember the last time I saw something this ambitious on a big screen. It, it engulfed me. You know, um, that sand scene, which was very reminiscent of the original Dune. Yes. But I almost felt, because it was so clear and it was just so, so real, I felt a little Lawrence of Arabia-ish, kind of, as you talk about that epic feel, Mm -hmm. that that embracing you or engulfing you in something. Oh, it's totally, yeah, yeah. I I thought of Lawrence as well, and everyone will, as you're watching this. Uh, And, you know, I know you and I feel differently about this movie, but I hope that you would at least admit that it's ambitious. Oh, it is. And we don't get that type of ambition from a Hollywood studio like this. And that Villanueva was able to talk Warner Brothers into doing this astounds me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, tell our, tell our listeners what this is about if they don't know oh, what dude, it is about. Oh, dude, what is it about? How can, can I even d- sum this up? <laughs> it's about politics. It's about the environment. It's about religion. It's about, it's about a family that has been uh, assigned to take over this planet, this planet called Arrakis, which is also known as Dune. And Dune is the key because it has this thing called melange, or what they refer to as the spice. Spice is a metaphor for oil. Uh, whoever controls the spice controls everything and the people who live on arrakis the fremen they're upset because they've been abused and ignored for years by the other group that was once mining this uh planet the harakin the Rakan have been thrown off and they are pissed and they are out to get revenge on the atreides family uh which has taken over chief among them paul Paul, played by uh, Timothy Chalamet, who is a reluctant prince, I think you would say. Uh, His father, played by Oscar Isaacs, uh, he's in charge. He's going to oversee Dune, and his intent is to get the Fremen on his side to make this a more unified front so that they can have spice production going. And of course, there are a lot of people with ulterior plans. There's a lot of court intrigue going on. There's a lot of behind-the-scenes machinations going on. 
and let's just say nothing quite goes as planned. But the big thing is, is that Paul basically is the Messiah. The Fremen have had visions of him, or he has had visions of them. They have heard stories of this person who's going to come and save them, and they think it is him. And this is a uh, crown that's going to rest very heavily on his head. All right. So what did you love about it? I love the spectacle of it. I love the complexity of it, the, the story. Uh, the, the, you've really got to pay attention to what everybody's doing and why they're doing what they're doing. Uh, this is not for people with short attention spans or people who are you know, easily bored. This is world building. I mean, the first hour is all about who is doing who to what and what to who and where and everything. <laughs> We're setting everything up. And, and again, I think that's really daring that they take the time to do this in our attention span challenged era that we live in. And I, I will agree with you on most of that. However, I think that there could have been a lot of edits made with way too many fight scenes, long, gratuitously violent, boring fight scenes. I think it was too much. I do like the story better. This story was so much, I did not read the book. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you read the book. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure you probably had a better grasp of the story than I did, but I did watch the original one again. The first time I watched it back in 19, whatever, 84, yeah. I fell asleep. Um, this one, I, I, I watched it again the night before I went to go see the new Dune mm -hmm. and he does so, Dennis does so much better a job of making it a cohesive, understandable story yes. with God characters. Is. Especially, I like the mother. Of course, I do. I like the mother-son oh, uh, relationship yeah, here, and stuff. and it really is to me that was so much more key. And the other aspects, the political stuff. I like the religious stuff, and and that's all very relevant to our history, especially with oil or any other precious commodity, mm -hmm. possibly upcoming Completely. as water. You know, anything we don't have, we're willing to fight and take over other people's worlds to do. And how do we solve that? We fight. Um, so, had there been, I guess, fewer fight scenes, and well, you little... know, th that's interesting. You mentioned that because he's got to walk a fine line there. In the book, there aren't as many fight scenes. Oh. And I think that he felt compelled to do that in order to suck people in. And that, that pushed me away. You know, but I mean, as far as the masses. Yeah. And, you know, the people who are thinking, oh, Star Wars or something like that. Yeah. You have to have those things, I think, to at least get them interested. you got to have something like that to put in the trailer, you know. So, so I, I think that's part of the fine line between commerce and art. He's got to thread that needle. Well, and that's going to be difficult because... People may People have like the reaction you do. <laughs> yeah. No. Well, let's look at the last duel and compare oh, gosh, that. Oh, jeez. Uh, but, but, I mean, with, with the fight scenes, and both you and I agreed, that was necessary. It was a depiction of the Hundred Years' War, mm -hmm. and they were brutal and gruesome war scenes, fight scene, combat scenes, but they didn't take it to the nth degree that you got to a point where you were bored with it. You didn't care. This, this didn't thread the needle for me. Okay. I didn't have a problem with the fight scenes in Doom. Uh, and I hope that he's able to make the second part because this film is only the first half of the book because you mentioned Lady Jessica, Paul's mother. Mm -hmm. More of that is developed as we go through the novel, and I'm sure they're going to touch on that in the second movie. Right. I, I'm sure that will appeal to you too, uh, as well as his relationship with Shani, this woman who he has visions of, the Fremen Right, woman, played by Zendaya. Zendaya, yeah. uh, and that gets really complicated as well. And Lady Jessica ends up with someone that I bet you can't predict. I probably cannot. <laughs> probably not. So, but it's an interesting twist. On okay. Things. All right. Well, I'll kind of look forward to the second uh, one we'll, if it's made. This is this was made. not my cup of tea. I know. I know. Um, I do I do give it credit for 
the the grand effort that it had visually and it truly did and I do think that it will appeal to fans of the book and fans of the original as well just did not appeal to me you know it's funny you mentioned the last duel that's another mm -hmm. one of the ones that have come about that have rekindled my interest yeah. in, in movies and you know that one that one along with the Bond film I mean but the last duel is one I've, I've thought about often since we've seen yeah. that that one that one has stuck with me too I brilliant film in my mind I really loved that I one. agree and, and, and talk about, again, back to Villanueva trying, having to appeal to the masses and everything. The Last Duel is a horrible bomb. Already, they've written it off. It made less than $5 million <gasps> really? its first three days, the first weekend. And that's the indicator for everything. That dictates what the studios do then with those films. And uh... that was crushingly disappointing to me because then that's going to make it harder to get other... Uh, intelligent, well thought out, out films like that made. Right, right. Uh, on a grand epic scale. Exactly. And that was, yeah. certainly. I'm, you know, there are three films I want to see again in the theaters. Right. And I haven't been able to say that in a long time, and that's one of them. Yeah, oh, most definitely. Um, we also have another movie called Knocking coming out. We've got, um, I know we're running short on time here. We have also, what's, what, what's the other movie coming out this weekend? I didn't, oh, uh, Ron's Gone Wrong. Ron's Gone Wrong. An animated wrong. thing about a, apparently it's a uh, phone type thing. Uh, and a, a kid uh, gets a knockoff version of this new hot phone. And it's been a phone, it's a phone that's been damaged. And it's voiced by Zach Galifianakis. Okay. So it's screwed up. Oh, and so all the thing, fun. It, I, I've read some reviews. It premiered in England first. It was, it's out of an English animation uh, studio, okay. their first feature, and the reviews have been really great. Oh, good! Now, I'll this have thing to put that just on my list. screws this kid's life up, you know, because he wants to fit in because everyone's got the cool thing, right? And he's got this crappy right. thing. So, um, <laughs> actually, I'm, I'm hoping to see it this weekend. Okay, and where is that playing? Uh, it's wide release. Okay, so it should be everywhere, everywhere that shows movies. All right, including good. my television set at home. No, no, okay. you got to go to the okay. movies. All right, one. I'll have to wait for that one. Um, the other one coming out is Women Is Wrong, and I don't like the title of that. It is agrammatical in my mind. Apparently it is based on a Janis Joplin song of the same name. Um, and uh, before we even talk about that, let's go ahead and listen to an interview with the writer and director, Lisette Feliciano. Lisette Feliciano, thank you for joining me on CI Living TV on WCIA. Hi. Hi, Pam. Nice to meet you. Nice it's to meet nice. all the audience members. <laughs> nice to meet you, too. Thanks for joining me. I want to talk about your new film, Women Is, and can you finish it for me? Losers. Women is losers. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have to start by asking you, now, as a journalist and as a writer, that's agrammatical to me. So tell me why you chose this unique combination for your title. So I actually um, did not choose, choose it. it. It was the, um, the brainchild of the masterful Janis Joplin. Um, it was her second song that she ever wrote. She only wrote eight songs total, eight or nine okay. um, songs. It was the first one she ever performed live in San Francisco in 1967. And when I listened to the song, of course I saw the title and I was a little upset. Um, because I had always considered her a feminist icon. And then I saw this, this title that not only did she sing, but she wrote. And it made me listen to the song. It elicited an emotional reaction. And I listened to it. And when I heard it, I heard that she was actually uh, making fun of the situation. And she was acknowledging um, a pain of being a second-class citizen as a woman and, and really 
putting it to her audience is like, why is this still a thing? And that is is what we were tried to infuse that spirit, that that fun, that tone is what we tried to infuse into this story so that it didn't turn into a victimhood story or a trauma drama. Um, so I took the title <laughs> and um, I was very, I thought they were gonna make me change it at some point. And it seems like, uh, yeah, she was up there pulling some strings because we still have it. And I, I understand too, in reading some of the press notes that your mother was also an inspiration for this. Can you tell me how Janis Joplin's lyrics and song actually tie into what your, how your mother inspired this? Absolutely. It was um, a conversation. I, I had a conversation with my mother about the struggles that I was dealing with in the industry. And um, I had been very, uh, I hadn't really told her what was going on because I didn't want to scare her and I didn't want to, you know, it, it was embarrassing and I felt like a failure. So one year it was just gotten, gotten like my life had imploded, my, like uh, another project had imploded, it just wasn't working. So I went home and said, okay, I am sorry. I don't think this is gonna work out for us. Um, I'm just not that good. It sounds like, like, that's what it seems like. And she didn't, she's, you know, she, she just didn't take that. And she finally told me what had happened to her in the, in her industry, in the real estate industry. Um, and the similarities between our stories, you know, me in 2021, her in the in 1960s and 70s, when she was trying to become an entrepreneur, obviously different industries, but similar <laughs> problems. Um, that connective tissue between our stories decades apart was, what I recognized in that song. You know, what Janice was screaming about in that song was what I was screaming about in, in, in my career. So it just all felt, um, it, it had a really beautiful synergy. And that is why the film purposefully doesn't quite fit into any time period because the, the, the point is that this is, the 60s, this is the 70s, this is the 80s, this is the 90s, this is 20, 2001, 20, like it's continuous. Um, yeah. That's, that is um, heartbreaking, yeah, inspirational yeah. at the same Thank time. Um, and with your, with your film, Women as Losers, you bring an element of humor as well as education and poignancy. I mean, you touch upon a lot of really tough topics abortion, the legalization of that, which again, we're dealing with that in today's world, um, mm -hmm. as, as well as just women's rights in general and being, as you said, second-class citizens and not being able to hold a title or a deed or being trusted to do something. Um, what, what kind of obstacles did you face when you were trying to make this film? So the film was very meta. Basically, everything that Selena goes through in the film is what we, I went through behind the scenes and I'm still dealing with behind the scenes getting this film out there. Um, it, I do believe that that made the film stronger because there was this camaraderie within the cast members, within the crew, within myself, even now in post-production um, with everybody that's working behind the scenes to get this out to the world. It is very much a bootstrap mentality of we just have to do this because they're, they we're all we have um, to get this out. So, yeah. <laughs> thank you, thank you for sharing that. I can I can yeah. hear the emotion in your voice and see it in your eyes. Um, and yeah. I I was able to watch this with a, a friend of mine who's also female, and we both had a lovely and very um, emotional 
conversation afterwards because things haven't changed as much as they should. No, I'm getting emotional. <laughs> yeah, no, it's um, okay. And that's something, honestly, that that's what I've noticed is the conversation that happens amongst family members and friends after they watch the movie. That's the most transformational part. You know, it, it, a lot has been said about what the film's shortcomings are, what they're not, and, you know, what we're trying to say too much, say too little. The point of those fourth wall breaks was never to be superior or anything like that. It was to to recreate the conversation I had with my mom, to pull the unsaid truths out of the ether, all these rules that we live by that we just live by. Like women wear makeup and men don't. That's just a rule. Nobody decided that. There's It's not written down anywhere. Uh, but the reality is that, you know, it takes two hours in the morning to put on makeup. That's two hours less than you have to like work on yourself as a human. Those right. are little tiny things that affect your life. So the conversation that you had with your friend, what we found is the transformational journey after the film is really in the families. I, people have come up to us after the screenings and they said, I finally had that conversation with my mom. I finally told my husband what happened to me. Like that's happening. And that's just the greatest um, compliment. And I hope that, you know, I hope when the film is able to reach uh, the country, maybe we, they can, it'll have more conversations around the dinner table. I'm, I'm sure that it will. Can you take me to your dinner table or wherever that might've been <laughs> after completing this, this beautiful film um, yeah. and having your mom see it? And I'm just going to assume that she has seen it and you have had a conversation. Take me to that time. Yeah, absolutely. So our conversation was prior to the movie. She she told me everything. Um, I think what has happened in my family um, currently is um, conversations between other family members that we, you know, either one family member knew, but not every, I mean, families have secrets left, right, and center. Oh, yeah. And this has been an opportunity for my own family members to come to the table and exp like just release a, um, a deep hurt or a pain that they've been holding on to that even I didn't know about. Um, and that's been really beautiful just for my family. And I hope that the audience gets gets that through Selena. And, and the point being here that Selena's character, this family um, is, and is for everybody. This is everybody's story. Like so many people come up to us and tell us, this is me, this is my aunt, this is my uncle. Um, and that's a huge, Compliment. That's a huge compliment. Tell me about um, casting your actress mm -hmm. as Selena, because you know a, a, a very a, a very personal story like this. You have to cast the right person, and you absolutely yeah. did. Oh, thank you. Yes. Well, Lorenzo Itzo is just a dream come true. When we met, we only really spoke about the the our um, our how we grew up. You know, she was raised in a single mother household, matriarchal household, and her journey in the industry and my journey in the industry were parallel. She was obviously in front of the camera and I was behind the camera, but just same the same way, we had a similar conversation about the truths of the things that we've been dealing with. And um, in that conversation, it was just very much obvious that this was the person to carry this um, because she's versatile, she's funny, she's, you know, she's physical, she's brave. And um, she also had the, uh, the core connection to the material just from her own story. Most of the time when I'm trying to cast, um, I believe that all actors are fantastic. They, I mean, if you've gotten to this point, you're a great actor, you've been working <laughs> and you're here. So for m me, the extra 
layer is, um, is this something that you can relate to? Um, I say, I call it casting for souls, <laughs> which is a little harder, the casting for souls and every single member of this cast, um, their souls were the right match for this story. Very good. How has making this film changed you personally? Um, that's a good question. <laughs> it's, it's hard to reflect on that because I'm still very much in it. But I, what I've learned mostly is to trust my instincts. What I've learned is that I'm very strong. Um, when I started the journey, I was very naive, I would say. I was really naive about how things could work or didn't work. Um, and just be, being met in the sink or swim situation it's solidified my belief in myself as a businesswoman, as a producer, as a writer, as a director, as a creator. And it's not something that I will sh that I shy away from anymore um, or even downplay because we've gotten here and this was this has been the journey of a lifetime. So um, I guess how I've changed the most is that I, uh, I feel unbreakable and um, I'm ready for the next round. I have one last question for you. What words of wisdom would you share with someone else coming up the ranks and attempting to be maybe not a filmmaker, but maybe a filmmaker or someone else in any other industry and being female? Um, that's a big one. <laughs> that's a, that there's so a many things. There's so many things. Which one do I pick? Um, <laughs> You know that that saying you're stronger than you know you're smarter than like that's real that is real it it's it seems like as women we are socialized to believe otherwise we are socialized to downplay ourselves to minimize ourselves to not speak up um because that's been the survival technique for centuries um the downside of that is that when you do get presented an opportunity to do anything um might not take it, um, not because you're not powerful, but because it, it's a little bit in our programming. Um, so what I've learned and what I would share is that you, um, you are capable and you have just as much right to take up space as anybody else and everybody is winging it. Like <laughs> what I've learned from this is there, nobody knows, everybody is winging it from the top level to the bottom level. Like this is a daily, in any industry, it's crazy how much people are winging it. And I think Michelle Obama said this in the, her Becoming uh, tour, right? She's like, I've been in, the, in a room with like, like the G9 summit and she's like, and I cannot believe that I used to think that I was not good enough for this room. That is like, when she said that, I was like, yeah, exactly. Like we're all figuring it out. We're all winging it. Um, and you have just as much right to get in that room as anybody else. Lisette, thank you for sharing all of your thoughts and most importantly, for sharing this incredibly powerful and inspirational film. Can't wait to see what you do next. Thank you. And thank you to HBO Max for releasing us October 25th. Uh, we're very happy to be part of that family. They're incredible. Yeah. You know, I, I didn't want to see this, but now my interest is peaked. Well, good. I hope you take the time to see that. It is on VOD as well as in theaters on a limited basis. Mm -hmm. So that's it for Real Talk with Chuck and Pam's podcast. A quick one. A what, quick what, one. what? 
No, this is a quick episode. Oh, oh, oh it is, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you had more to add, more to add. <laughs> uh, but I hope to get, you know, I hope we do these a bit more often and a bit longer too, because like I say, this is the time of year we live for and a lot of good stuff's coming, yep. I hope. Yep, cheers to that. Yep. Thanks for listening.